0: Callie walked in this morning, and uh, I saw something glistening from her hand, blinding my eyes. And I thought, "Oh, it has happened." And uh, actually, I was looking because Olivia had told me that it might happen, and so I was, I was uh, anticipating this. So, really happy for you guys. So excited, and I just want you to know that um, now that you're uh, engaged and you are get married. Um, all the problems are gone now, and uh, everything everything gets completely easy, and uh, you don't have to worry about anything now. You, you know your your life is smooth sailing from here on out. So, congratulations, you've arrived. Um, um actually, it's uh, fitting that we talk about engagement this morning as we are entering into our final Matthew sermon, and it's going to be more of a summary, and it's going to be looking back at the book of Matthew just kind of an overview or or not even overview it's not the appropriate word but sort of skimming over the surface of of Matthew and highlighting some select passages to look at uh, the call to follow Jesus and here's the thing about uh, everything we do including getting married the priority should be following Jesus and when we think about marriage we should think about uh, are we following Jesus with someone and that is a good reason to get married if you think you can follow Jesus with this person. It's not a good reason to get married just because you have some vague romantic idea about love, as much as our society might tell you that. Um, marriage has a purpose in God's kingdom. And uh, for people who have put their priorities in place, the first thing we think about with marriage is, can I follow Jesus with this person? And of course, we receive a lot of blessings from it, too, when we follow Jesus and uh uh outside of a priority above ourselves actually you're you have a recipe for disaster okay this isn't meant to be a sermon on marriage and i'm just ad-libbing now so i better i better get back to my (laughs) i better get back to my my plan here (laughs) let me let me pray okay lord thank you so much uh for this beautiful day i do thank you for callie and brett this morning such an exciting day for us um Lord, would you yourself summon our hearts to follow you this morning and be pleased to magnify your greatness among us today. And we ask it in your name. Amen. So years ago, you may have heard me say this before. Years ago, my oldest daughter, Sydney, who is a very, very honest person, always has been, She was riding on a four-wheeler with her granddad, and he was singing the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus with her, and trying to get her to sing it. But she said, no, Pop, I have not decided to follow Jesus. (laughs) And I appreciate that honesty, right? And I'd like to ask you to be honest today. Have you really decided to follow Jesus? And maybe if you have decided, but it's faded away, and you've let it grow weak and cold, maybe it's time to decide again. Jesus is okay with that. Maybe you've never really decided. I want you to decide, as children say, in real life, for real life, (laughs) to follow Jesus. This is the new invitation, the fresh invitation today. I want you to follow him because you see that it's so good. There's a guy named Arthur Michael Ramsey who was named... Archbishop of Canterbury back in the 1960s, and somebody asked him when he was named to this position, describe your relationship with God, and he said something I love. He said, I enjoy him. It's not just a cavalier answer. It comes from a deep, deep person who knew what walking with God is about. See, that's that stated in one of the old catechisms, that the, the central point of life is to worship God and enjoy him forever. That's what we're going to do in eternity, is enjoy God. We're called to start learning that right now. And I'm not trying to say there are no difficulties. I'm not trying to smooth over the rough parts or anything like that. I'm just saying that the call to follow Jesus is a call to enjoy him and a call to enjoy God through him. I want you to follow Jesus today. I want you to decide anew to follow Jesus because he's so great and because he makes our lives enjoyable. But before I get into the scriptures, I want to take a side trail here. I do this occasionally uh, to talk to you about what it means to be human. Okay, stay with me for just a second. Um, In the virtue ethics tradition, very ancient tradition going back to people like Aristotle. There's this understanding that uh, you need to know what you're made for. And that you have a purpose, you have a nature. And that you have something then. Basically that is, you need to know who you are to know what you should be. You know know your identity to know how you should behave. That's, that's the, the virtue ethics tradition. Now we have a world today where people are saying at the highest levels of academia, they're arguing that there is no such thing as a human nature. Now you probably haven't heard that, but you've seen where it's trickled down into our society, because it's at core, it is an expression of uh, we can be free as human beings. We can make our choices, we can do what we want to. We can decide for ourselves. Really, a lot of it's tied up in sexuality. We're free to make choices about our sexuality. And uh, most people don't know the philosophy that's behind it. There is really a philosophy behind it. Or at least it, it started there, going way back. And uh, it's the idea now that people say you don't have any human nature. So there's nothing that can you. Saying you have a human nature is oppressive. Because if you say you have a certain kind of nature, then there are certain things you should do. right? And so people deny that there is such a thing as a human nature. Let me give you an illustration. What what I'm talking about, the the current philosophy is very, very different than what people thought historically, and and especially in the ancient virtue ethics tradition. Suppose I wanted to uh, play baseball, right? But in my understanding, I decide I'm going to play with my watch, right? Here's a watch. And somebody's pitching a baseball, and I say, throw it here. Wow! And I keep trying to hit it. And finally, I look at this thing, and I say, this is a terrible watch! Right? Done with this watch. The problem is, I don't know what the nature of a watch is. Right? If I misunderstand the nature of a watch, I don't know what a good watch is. It's actually a good watch. That's because I know what to use it for. I know what its nature is. I know what its purpose is. Now imagine that we have people who don't know what the nature of a human being is. Then we're like, well, we can do whatever we want to with a human being. But we're going to find that human beings that aren't flourishing, that was the goal of of ancient ethics, to, to flourish as human beings, will find that we don't know what we're here for. We don't know what our purpose is. And we're drifting along and we say, well, we can choose that and you can choose that. Everybody can. you know, The, the idea was that you have a telos. If you ever heard that Greek word, a telos, it's an end or a goal towards which you aim. And you're a certain kind of person, you have a certain kind of nature, and you're always moving towards this goal so that you become what you were made to be. It's what you were made for. Sydney just got a, a new bow and arrow. And... Uh, I am concerned enough about her taking that in our backyard and shooting at a target. <laughs> I've already warned her, you have to be very, very careful uh, with kids and dogs running around and, and neighbors and all that, you know, uh, it's, it's dangerous. But I can't imagine how much more dangerous it would be if Cindy walked outside and said, pew, pew, just started letting them go. And I said, no, oh, do aim at the target. She's like, there is no target. You just, you just shoot. That's what you do. There's no such thing as a target. You see, that's dangerous. That causes problems. And if you think that the human being has no target, you've got a recipe for disaster with the human person. Okay, that's a, that's a side note, okay? Here's the reason I go into all that. I want you to, I want you to hear this. Your end goal, my end goal, the target we are aiming for is Jesus Christ he shows us what human beings are made for both men and women he shows us what God put us here for the telos the end goal of human beings is Jesus Christ and when you see that you know where to aim you know what a good human being is. You know what human beings are for. You know, it almost seems presumptuous to say it. But scriptures tell us that we are made partakers. In Christ, we're made partakers of the divine nature. We are made to be imitators. This is scripture. We are made to be imitators of God. It almost seems... Uh, that we are, we're saying something that should not be uttered. But this is what Scripture calls us to. And our goal then is to seek God, to seek Christ, and to be made more fuller, ever being transformed, as the Apostle Paul says, from glory unto glory into the image of Christ. And you see, when you see Jesus... That seems, that seems almost absurd to say that's our calling, but, but let me say to you, if you see Jesus like he really is, you will know, unless your mind has been ruined, when you see him clearly, you will know that's what you're made for. You will say, that is what I want, that is what I am put here in this world for. The problem is, many times we've lost the ability to see him clearly. And the gospel of Matthew that we spent so much time in, it is a call to see Jesus clearly. And it's an invitation to follow him. you notice when Jesus comes on the scene with people, he says to them, follow me, and they just get up and follow him. We say, Well, why do they do that? And I want to say to you, it's because they saw him. And he was captivating, he was compelling. And they got up and they left their families, they left their friends, they left their jobs, and they said, let's go. But they knew it was worth it to follow him. They knew that he showed them everything they had been looking for. Jesus comes on the scene, and one of the very first things he does is he tells people to repent. Now we're going to go back to some things we've covered over the last year and a half. From the very beginning, when Jesus begins to preach, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's repent, but it's not repent without reason. It's not repent because I've caught you, you're doing bad stuff, and you're in trouble if you don't stop. I mean, that might be included, but that's not the first thing he's saying to them. He's saying repent because this thing they knew about, that the the Jewish people wanted to see happen, it was happening with Christ, the king. He was bringing it about, and he is still doing it lives are still changing communities of people are still changing and you know we get caught up in seeing all the badness and all the 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 difficulties that we face sometimes that we we don't take the time to realize that the world the entire world is different because jesus brought the kingdom and is continuing to bring the kingdom among us and he's inviting us to team up with him in that kingdom Right now, this is an outpost right here in Irving. We are an outpost of God's kingdom. Working for his rule of great mercy and compassion to come and reign over the city of Irving, to come and reign all over the world. We're trying to do that together. Because the kingdom has come. But it's not just repent because the kingdom is here. That, that's great as far as it goes. But, but it's even greater than that. It's greater because Jesus comes not as any prophet might have come announcing the kingdom. Jesus comes as the king himself. Have you ever noticed this passage here? I can't remember. I think we may have talked about this. Uh, we've skipped some uh, going through Matthew. But here's another call to repentance if you want to call that. And Jesus is talking about two Old Testament characters. And he says, the men of Nineveh that Jonah preached to, they'll rise up and stand in judgment over this gener- generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And then this remarkable statement. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Wow. But it gets even crazier. The queen of the south who came to visit Solomon shall rise up with this generation in the judgment and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than then Solomon is here. And I just want you to think about what Jesus said. It's what what C.S. Lewis said about him a long time ago, that you either have to think he's crazy or he's a really bad person who's trying to trick people to think things about him. You know, Because nobody else would say anything like this, right? I mean, imagine if I moved here a couple years ago and I stood up early on in my preaching to you and was like, you know what? Blessed are your ears for you (laughs) hear. And uh, it's time for you guys to repent because someone greater than King Solomon is here right now. (laughs) I mean, imagine what you would think about that. It's absurd unless the person saying it is really telling the truth and is saying it for good reason. He's not saying it as an arrogant claim. As if he needed a pat on the back. He's saying it because it's true and he wants people to know the truth. He wants them to repent at his presence because the great king has come among us. Now what I want to say to you is that when, when we're called to repent, we are called to see Jesus Christ as the king of the world who's come to be our king in particular to lead his people. And he says to us, repent I came across, a, I won't call it a definition, but, a, but an explanation of repentance not long ago that I really love. I'll put it up here by God, even Calistos, where? To repent is to look not downward at my own shortcomings, but upward at God's love. Hear this. Not downward at my own sh- shortcomings, but upward at God's love. Not backward with self-reproach, but forward with trustfulness. It is to see not what I have failed to be, but what by the grace of Christ I can yet become. Will you repent of your sins today? (laughs) I want to invite you to see the great Lord Jesus who has come among his people, come among the world, and has called countless people over the years to follow him and has changed their lives and has shown them what they can be. And he's here today and he invites you to follow him. Will you follow Jesus? Will you decide now? Follow Jesus. We don't just repent of our sins because we're down on our, ourselves, down on our luck, guilt-ridden, seeking an escape. We repent of our sins because we know the love of God is great, and we've seen it in the face of Christ. You see, the, the problem today with so much of our words, we're following the wrong people. And we've lost a vision of what it means for real life to follow Jesus. And I wonder if it's because, or at least related to this, we've forgotten what real goodness looks like. And we don't see it often. At least not in publicly accessible ways. The people on our TV shows, there's so much cynicism and violence now. We used to maybe have some better ones out there. The best, truly the best, I think, TV character I've ever seen in terms of representing a Christ-like picture is uh, from Little House on the Prairie, Michael Landon's character. When we watched that show with with our kids, man, the guy has courage and strength and compassion and kindness, and he's going to stand up for what's right no matter what happens around him. And I love that picture that he presents to us. Man, I don't see many people like that on the TV shows today. It's it's like people don't even know how to make people like that anymore. We're trying to glorify people who are... One of the things... I mean, it's not all bad. We're trying to present realism. and You know, that's what people want to do on our TV shows. They want to show real life. But they're so convinced that there are no really good people in real life. So we're always trying to present... The, at least a healthy dose of badness in, in, the, in the people that we're pulling for on, on our television shows and we don't see that real goodness might be a possibility I mean you just think about uh, the, the people that we watch sometimes I, I, I know the wildly popular show The Office for example I know it's comedy but, but a lot of you probably have seen that show try to find somebody who's truly good in that show I don't mean basically nice you can find some nicer people on there But somebody who's truly good. And you just don't, it's hard to to think of any one character on that show that you say, yeah, I really want to be like them when you you follow them carefully. So we end up following people who are so far different than Christ and what he represents. We follow TV personalities, we follow politicians. We follow sometimes family members. Guys, I loved my granddad. um, And I look forward to seeing him in heaven because he loved me a lot. But if I modeled my life on him, I would be a authoritarian patriarch (laughs) who was uh, into being a tough guy Sometimes I pretend like I'm a tough guy for Olivia and the girls. Well, it's not all pretend. I really kind of am, but I I use it for good. I use it for good. Um, I would be into a, a life that, you know, Jesus loved him and Jesus saved him, and I'm so thankful, but I can't model my life on my granddad. And, of course, I'm still so far short of what Christ presents. I've only made a little bit of progress, but I know the direction to move because Christ has set it for me. And the people I've known who have really followed him, those are the people I've set up in my life. Say, so I'm, I'm aiming at them. I'm following them as they follow Christ. And so I know the direction to move. We have to, we have to pull ourselves away. Please don't think you get through life without following someone. You are. <laughs> this notion of this radical individualism that we have going around really means we just become oblivious to the people we're following. We don't acknowledge how much they're influencing us. You're following somebody, whether it's a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt or your favorite politician or TV personality, whatever. You're following somebody. Make a decision today that it will be Jesus and then find the best example you have of Jesus and follow that person to make it more concrete. But don't drift through life thinking you're getting by without following anybody or sort of kind of following Jesus with never making a firm decision for it. Today is a day to decide to follow him. We sit back sometimes and complain about the lawlessness and the depravity of our society and we act like we want to do something about it. Let me tell you what you can do about it. The first thing you can do about it better than anything else is you can follow Jesus. I'm not saying there's nothing else to do. (laughs) But you will be of more benefit to this world by the time you die if you have decided to follow Jesus fully than you will be doing anything else. I want to invite you to follow Jesus today because he's good and he's smart. I, I, was, I think I told you this before, but um, my friend Daniel, who will be watching this sermon in just a little bit, uh, you guys have met him. Uh, he has a u- unique way about him, a unique honesty to him, and I love him for that. And we were riding along one time, and he asked me a question. He said, if you could go back in history and be with anybody in the world and, and, and spend time with him, who would you go back and be with? And I thought for a minute, and then he hit me, I said, oh, Jesus. And Daniel sat there for just a second, and he said, I'm not that religious. <laughs> I love Daniel's honesty. But you see, I wanted to say, and Daniel started talking, I didn't get it out. Uh, But I thought for just a second, I thought, I would have said to him, Daniel, I wouldn't do that because I'm religious. I would do that because I'm smart. Because I know that if I can get anywhere close to Jesus, that's the best thing that can ever happen to me. And I will learn more and grow more and be better off by being with Jesus than I will ever do with anybody else in the whole world. You see, that's the vision of Jesus that we need people to grasp in the church, to know this is your hope. This is the person. Follow Jesus because he's good. Follow Jesus because he's smart. Follow Jesus because he's strong. I, I still remember when I was in my early 20s when I, when I grasped and as I've told you guys before it was, it was through Dallas Willard's teaching that really got me with this but I grasped the great generosity of Jesus and I don't think I'd ever seen it before and he was just in the Bible he was telling people what to do and he was being nice but then it struck me the overwhelming generosity that was in his life. Here comes a leper up to him nobody's supposed to touch the lepers and Jesus doesn't say stand back Everybody get back. And he doesn't just pronounce a healing from a distance. He grabs the guy and says, "I am willing for you to be healed." And he heals him. Here are two blind men interrupting the day. Everybody's annoyed with them calling out, "Son of David, have mercy on us. Stop, please." Everybody else is trying to get them to be quiet. Jesus stops everybody else. Says, "Let me talk to him. What can I do for you?" Here comes a Gentile centurion. My servant's about to die. Jesus, I'll go and heal him. This is just this this self-emptying, graciousness. This is why John looked back on Jesus years after knowing him and said something so beautiful. We must never forget that what we have in the Gospels is this unforgettable impression that Jesus made on real people. That's why they wrote it down. Because he had so... Changed their lives. So impacted them that they could not forget him. And John looked back and he's writing from a distance and he's writing more poetically about it, looking more big picture about it. He said, we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know anybody who's full of grace? Grace. full of like a self-giving, emptying love. John looks back years after knowing Jesus and said, we beheld his glory. It was the only Son from the Father, full of grace. This scripture always gets me. I want to skip forward here. This is from the New Living Translation. Matthew is talking about Jesus and and he chooses this this old testament verse to describe him look at my servant whom i have chosen he is my beloved who pleases me i will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations he will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public he will not crush the weakest reed think about that you got a branch that's bruised about ready to break off jesus won't crush it he won't break it off Or put out a flickering candle. you got a candle that's just about burnt out. Jesus doesn't blow it off. Blow it out. Who calls justice to be victorious in his name. Will be the hope of all the world. Nobody ever comes to Jesus. In the gospels or outside the gospels. Nobody ever comes to him. Broken and bruised and weak. And he says go on your way. I don't want anything to do with you. gentleness with the broken and the weak. That's what's changed the world, guys. This person has changed the world. Do you understand that? This is, the per- this is why we have hospitals in the world. This is why we have orphans' homes in the world today. It wasn't like this before Jesus. But this man came. Now he's the most famous and most influential man in the history of the world. And his followers have spread this light that was in him all across the globe. And there's never been anyone like him. And this is the man who comes to you today and says, do you want to be my follower? Or do you have someone you think is better in mind? (laughs) Would you rather keep living life according to the standards that are put forward for you on television or radio, or wherever you're getting them. You see, when you you understand who he really was, and that, that who he was made that kind of impression on people, then you start to see, this is what I'm made for. And what Jesus says to you is, come and be like me. Start where you are. You may be a very bruised reed. You may be a flickering candle. Start where you are. And accept the invitation and say, Jesus, I adore you, and I'd like to be like you. Will you take me? And I will tell you with absolute confidence, Jesus will never turn you away. Here's a woman coming through the crowd. She suffered so much at the hands of doctors who could not heal her and perhaps have taken advantage of her, she makes everyone impure with her bleeding problem. And she touches Jesus, taking advantage of him rather than asking. And Jesus knows it. He stops the crowd. She's trembling in fear, knowing that crowd would have been ready to attack her, possibly to stone her. Jesus stops everything, He finds her. He hears her story. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Here comes the funeral procession coming by. A grieving mother has lost all her hope. Don't cry. Don't cry, woman. Get up, my child. Raising him up, giving him back to his mother. This is the man who has changed our world. We could just keep going on and on, but I'm going to stop and transition for one last point here. Jesus is not just uh, impressing people because of his goodness. In fact, I think his goodness and his gentleness and his kindness is what gave people the courage to come to him, to seek him, and to know that they would not be rejected. But what seems to amaze them most and surprise them most as, as you read in the Gospels, is his authority. That's what stuns people. This guy comes from being a Nazarene carpenter. And he interacts with the great scholarly minds of his day. He takes their attacks and their abuses. He never backs down. And he always confounds them. And they as, I don't have this on my PowerPoint, but as at one point, they, the soldiers are sent out to arrest him, and they come back and they say, nobody's ever spoken like this guy. We've never heard anybody talk like this. They're amazed at his teaching at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. When he finished his teachings, they were astonished. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. You see... I don't teach as one who has authority. I teach as someone who's trying to convey to you someone else's authority. And I'm way down the chain, actually. (laughs) You know, there's Jesus, and then there's people who have really got it and spoken for him, and I'm down here trying to understand all those guys when I speak. Jesus spoke, you know, amazing things. Talking about the law of Moses. You've heard it said, but I say to you, Whoa, who says that? They were astonished at how he forgave sins. You realize that that he forgave sins as if he were God. Because he was. And that's what they accused him of. And I love how the end of... The, I read through Matthew this week, just uh, looking uh, back at, at reasons to follow Jesus. And I love how uh, when he forgave this... This man sins and he raised him up to walk again, challenging everybody around him. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen. And they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. He cast out demons, but he didn't do it with some incantation. It's amazing. He didn't do it with like some formula or technique or some great prolonged process. He just looked at them and spoke to them and said, get out. And they left because of his authority. He calmed the storm. <laughs> and then the disciples were amazed and said, who is this man? And just think about that. I love this question. We're so used to the story that it's, it's so familiar to us. But this is one of the most appropriate questions that you could ever ask. Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And then you get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where we're not spending much time because we went through it during Holy Week. But I'm amazed at how he responds to accusations. Because Jesus had faced all of these people and turned away all of their objections, all of their scholarly questions, all the tricks they'd try to pull on him. It's not that he struggled to answer. It's that he chose not to answer them. And they say, don't you have any answer to make? First with the, with the priest and Sanhedrin, then with Pilate, the governor. Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. I'm amazed at that too. What person stands with his life on the line? Knowing they could answer. Knowing they could confound the people. That's the reason he doesn't speak. He had decided to die. He could have answered them with with a couple of sentences, I imagine. And they would have all been confounded once again and Pilate would have said we can't let this man die but he remains silent and lets them bring their accusations against him the strength that's in that the courage that is in that to stand before those accusers and just let them lay into you with no response see if we're going to have if we're going to follow Jesus we have to be not just kind we have to be strong And Jesus wasn't just compassionate. He was compassionate in standing up against the people who weren't compassionate. And he was strong enough that when it came his time, he said, I'm going to die and I'll stand there and just be silent. We could go on and on. I've just been selective going through Matthew, choosing things to show you. But I want to invite you today to follow Jesus because he's strong, because he's kind, because he's smart. Because you can never find anybody else like him. You know, I pray for you guys. Um, I pray that when I'm on my own, Josh and Terry and I pray together for this church, we pray that the Lord will pour out a spirit of discipleship in this church. I have prayed, I don't know how many times I've prayed this, but I know I've prayed this, that I've told the Lord, Lord, you know that I've stood up before your people and I have told them it's real. And would you please, I don't know my exact words, but I say like basically, would you please back me up? <laughs> you know I've stood there and told them that this life with Christ is real. Let them find it, that it's real. I pray that for you. I want you to know that life with Christ is real. And the gospel of Matthew has been given to us to invite us into that life. And today, in a fresh way, in a new way, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. I was listening to a brilliant philosopher last week talking in an in interview setting And uh, he was uh, discussing our our world and how people are angry about so many things. And he said, they're angry because they've experienced a real... He was discussing transcendence. Not necessarily talking in a specifically Christian way, but he was discussing transcendence. He said, people are angry because they know they've experienced a real loss. But they misidentify what they've lost. And of course, for him, he's, he's talking about transcendence. But more specifically, and this guy is a Christian, more specifically, what I want to say is what we've lost is Jesus Christ and the transcendence that he brings, the the life that transcends the ordinary, normal, daily, grinding life that we live, that takes us out into something different. That's what we've lost, and that's what needs to be restored. It's a vision of Jesus Christ that captivates us and compels us and makes every one of us say, I want that. I want to close by reading you. The words of Joni Erickson Tada, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She was paralyzed from the neck down, became a quadriplegic, I think at a very young age. And she's a devout follower of Jesus. And here she's talking about the resurrection. But I just want you to see how Jesus has her heart as an illustration of countless people. The brilliant, the devoted, the martyrs and the saints through history that Jesus has captivated. She is one of that number. Listen to what she says here. And she's talking about specifically how it hurt her. At one time she was in a Christian convention and everyone was invited to kneel and she couldn't kneel and she was crying. Listen to what she says. Sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven I will be free to jump up, dance, kick, and do aerobics. And although I'm sure Jesus will be delighted to watch me rise on tiptoe, there's something I plan to do that may please him more. If possible... Somewhere, sometime before the party gets going, sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. Today, I want to stand before you as one of the many many broken, bruised reeds who falls on glorified, grateful knees before the glorified Jesus. And I want to invite you to kneel before the Lord Jesus today. I want to invite you to follow him. Praise team, come on up here if you don't mind, and let me just pray for us. Lord, show every heart in this room now that's open to receive it how great and magnificent you are. And let the hungry souls be fed. Let the thirsty souls drink. Let them come to the fountain of living water which is you yourself. And let us all know the reality, what it truly means to walk with you, Lord Jesus. We ask it in your name. Amen.